0: Welcome back to another edition of Routine Jumper Radio. I'm your host, Jalen Dixon, and I am just a guy with a mic that likes talking NBA basketball. Today, we have a ton on the docket, so let's get right into it. We are going to be focusing on three different superstars with three different agendas. We're going to start with Kevin Durant joining the Phoenix Suns since the last time I recorded. Kevin Durant has now played on the floor with the Phoenix Suns for the last three games, and they have looked really well by doing so. And we're going to talk about not just his production on the floor, but how it's impacting the players around him and how that can facilitate the Phoenix Suns potentially going on a title run. Afterwards, we're going to transition to Anthony Davis, who is put in a position with LeBron James being down for a bare minimum the next three weeks to now take the mantle that everybody has been wanting Anthony Davis to take. And now positioning himself to solo dolo. Of course, he has other players like D'Angelo Russell, Jared Vanderbilt, uh, Beasley and those guys around him. But as the sole superstar, he has a couple of weeks To steer the ship in the right direction and position the Lakers to be a play in tournament team when LeBron James comes back. And that puts them in very strong contention for a legitimate playoff spot if we're talking about a single game elimination with LeBron James and Anthony Davis on the floor when LeBron comes back. And third, unfortunately, we do have to focus on some of the bad news, being Ja Moran. The question today is. Is John Morant leading to a closed window for the Memphis Grizzlies? I know their team is young, but when we talk through it, it might make a little bit more sense because when you look at the makeup of their team, the circumstances of this season, and now the issues arriving at the worst time possible for this young player, it could facilitate the downfall of what looked like a very promising season for the Memphis Grizzlies. With all that in mind, now that you know what's going on on the show, let's get into it itself. Let's start with Kevin Durant and focus on the Phoenix Suns. As of today, recording this, the Phoenix Suns are thirty-six and twenty-nine, two games back of the Sacramento Kings for the third spot in the Western Conference. Kevin Durant has played three games with the Phoenix Suns so far this uh, so far since being traded. And if you want to be specific about what he's been able to do in that time, he has had 23, 6 and 2 in 27 minutes against Charlotte in a win 20 points, nine rebounds, six assists, a block and a steal, and a win over my Chicago Bulls. And then 37 points, seven rebounds, three assists on 70 percent shooting from the field and 60% from the three point line. Kevin Durant has a knack for being better off injury. I don't know if it's the Wolverine Animantium, I'm not sure what's going on in terms of this guy, but it seems as though the just hoop mentality has positioned himself to come back to basketball back Like he never left. And this is the second time that he has faced a lower leg injury that has caused him to miss significant time on the floor. And he comes back and produces at a high level. The main thing that we all asked ourselves. When it came to Kevin Durant being traded to Phoenix for the package that was received by the Brooklyn Nets involving Mikael Bridges, Cam Johnson, Jay Crowder, was losing Defensive prowess at the wing position. I think, in the short stance that we've seen with Kevin Durant on the floor, that the combination of him and DeAndre Ayton defensively has been able to hold up in a great way. Now, obviously, in shootout situations like the Dallas Mavericks game, they also have the firepower to be able to compete with some of the best scoring offenses in the league. But it should be notable. That in the Charlotte game, granted, a game without LaMelo Ball, but nonetheless, in the Charlotte game, they were able to hold the Hornets to 91 points. For Chicago, who has two offensive powerhouses in DeMar DeRozan and Zach Levine, Chicago was held to 104 points in that game. Something that I think is very important is Kevin Durant showed signs of being an elite on-ball, all-defensive caliber on-ball defensive player prior to the injury. And I think from a possession-to-possession standpoint, we have been able to see that he is able to still hold on to some of that prowess. And although DeAndre Ayton is not viewed as somewhat of a rim protector in the same ways that Nicholas Claxton was, I think the combination of these two, specifically on the interior more so as shot blockers, is something that will really benefit this Phoenix Sunstein because they are going to need upgraded rim protection to make up for the fact that on the perimeter they do not have nearly as much flexibility and switchability across the roster i think that's really important because their defense is going to be the calling card that everybody points to in terms of what could be the downfall of them this season i think another thing that is so important about this Kevin Durant acquisition for what we've seen just through the first three games is more so the impact that it's had on Devin Booker. Everybody cracked this joke. I remember early when the, when the trade initially happened referring to this old Devin Booker tape at an open gym. And he was referring to like, I'm trying to get better. Why are we working through double team? Why are we double teaming and all that stuff. And now the ironic thing about it is he can never be double teamed again <laughs> while this team is set up the way it is. He can't. You physically cannot double team him because this Phoenix Suns offense is pick your poison. They are going to mid range you to death. Chris Paul has not really had great games through these first three games with Kevin Durant, but the facilitation is there. And I think that that's the main thing that we're looking from, from CP I think the most important part about what Kevin Durant has brought to this team is that he has been able to unlock everybody's role. What is the role that is going to make this team click and fire on all cylinders in a playoff setting? If D book can just score, which he has scored 30 points in 30 or more points in all three games with Kevin Durant on the floor. If CP can just set up guys and create offense by just being able to manipulate the floor in ways that we know he is able to do. If DeAndre Aiden is able to grab nine to 16 rebounds a game and be a post threat on the interior, if everybody is able to focus on what their skill set best provides on a basketball floor, as opposed to DeAndre Ayton being asked to be a 20 and 20 guy or D book having to have more on ball responsibility as a point guard or having more point guard like roles within the offense because of the fact that CP has slowed down from an offensive standpoint or from or with that in mind continuously asking CP to try to be a 15 to 20 point a night score when it seems as though those times have come and gone. Being able to revert everybody into their primary role has allowed everybody to play with a certain level of openness. And now you just have Kevin Durant <laughs> on top of all of that. I think that's the insane part about what he has been able to add to this team more than anything is that his mere presence on the floor creates a secondary primary position for himself while alleviating others of a secondary primary position because for him, he essentially is the cherry on top in terms of everything that this team needs. They have three-point shooting. They have a lead elite scorer in D-Book. The they have a guy in the post in DeAndre Aiden. They have a lead facilitator in Chris Paul. So he gets to step in as a roamer. He gets to step in as a guy as as. In the sense of, do you need me to go out and get 20 points per game, 20 plus points per game? I can go do that. Do you need me to go out and get steals and get shot uh, and block shots? I can do that. Do you need me to hunt down on the perimeter and be able to guard? Maybe not at an elite level, but at a very high level, especially considering his age and injury history. He can go out and do that. Kevin Durant, in a sense, is taking on more responsibility with the versatility he provides, but his overall potency on the offensive end specifically has allowed this team to fall into roles. And by doing so, they've been able to maximize their individual skill sets within those roles. I think that's huge. I think that is big time because before Kevin Durant arrived, especially with Devin Booker injured, but even after that, There was this time period where they were asking Mikael Bridges to have to do more. Or, of course, when Devin Booker was on the floor, he was looking like an MVP candidate because he was kind of picking up in spots where CP was not providing, especially especially the beginning of the season, more in particularly. Again, that's where D-Book's MVP case kind of lies the most. But that has a lot to do with the underwhelming play of CP, who kind of looked like he was still off that cliff. Dating back to the end of the Dallas Mavericks series. Basically, the running joke was from the minute he turned 37, he jumped off. And it was starting to look like that at the beginning of the year as well. And although he's kind of started to turn back the clock a little bit as of recent. Of course, we all worry about the sustainability of it, especially because Chris Paul hasn't really had an injury yet this season, like a real injury that's held him back. The hip thing has obviously been a nagging issue, but Chris has not missed any significant time this year, and that is, of course, another odd thing as well. Kevin Durant just puts this team in a completely different stratosphere in terms of what they're able to do from a flexibility standpoint because, again, it goes back to this idea of picking your poison. Kevin Durant, this is the cool part about... Kevin Durant's ability to fit into any offense. This is the interesting part about the idea of dropping a guy like Kevin Durant's skill set into a Phoenix Suns team as opposed to a Russell Westbrook, for example. This is a great way to kind of utilize those two as a comparison, both entering different teams where you would believe that the skill set better fits with the team that's going to be around them. Kevin Durant's impact alone from a gravity standpoint is enough to be able to step in and simply be a 25 plus per game score while being able to do all of the other flexible things around the floor while allowing the guys around him to settle in. Russell Westbrook on the other end has a skill set that definitely does maximize the Clippers in a way by helping to create more three-point opportunities. You have one of the best three-point shooting teams in the league, so on and so forth. But the need for the ball in his hands creates a situation where the decision making goes primarily through Russell Westbrook and therefore Despite the fact that his skill set may aid the Clippers, his mentality may be a detriment to the Clippers. His play style is not as um, malleable. It's not something that you can insert into another offense and he just clicks. It's something that's very instinctual. It's something that for him, the on-ball reps throughout the game are what helps develop The mentality as the game goes along, as opposed to Kevin Durant, who comes into a game and understands that he is he he can and is able to contribute where needed in any given game. For example, the game against Charlotte, he could have teed off in those 27 minutes. I don't necessarily think that he needed to do so, especially with Devin Booker having such a great game. I think he had 36 points and hit a ton of threes in that game. But I think you look at the flip side of that and you also understand that he has the capability to do more as opposed to Russell Westbrook's gameplay that I think is still a bit more in a box. And therefore, there's a certain level of catering that has to happen to his play style in order to maximize him and to then therefore maximize the offense around him. It's a complicated concept in a sense, but it's one of those things that just goes to show you how great of a player Kevin Durant is because the ability to insert him into any team and he instantly be able to provide top tier impact without stepping on the toes of other stars or simply other players in general on the team is huge as opposed to most most all stars that need to be integrated into a new style of offense. There's a ton of growing pains that come with it because they're being asked to adjust their play style or the players that are on the team they are coming to are asked to adjust around the play style of the new star, which sometimes tends to make it where a lot of skill sets for those support guys don't fit the new star. And now your team is not as cohesive as it looks on paper in terms of what it could be able to do. The Phoenix Suns look as good on the floor as they look good on paper. And that means that they are going to be one hell of a team to stop this season. Speaking of teams that look dangerous on paper, I want to talk about the Anthony Davis led Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers are a team that are so hard to wrap my brain around. And I try my very hardest not to talk about the Los Angeles Lakers too much on this podcast, because I feel as though national media does that more than enough on their own. Um, Shout out to the hoop collective podcast, who seems like they try to ban talking about the Lakers and then somehow end up on LeBron James related conversations just about every other episode anyway. (laughs) But all shade aside, The Los Angeles Lakers are such an intriguing team to follow, particularly this season, because it just seems like they cannot catch a break. It just seems like they cannot catch a break. Anthony Davis misses time. LeBron James misses time. The Russell Westbrook six man thing seems like it's working on the surface. But behind the scenes, it seems as though it's actually still kind of hurting the team. They make a trade at the trade deadline that brings in three, three big-time role players in Jared Vanderbilt, D'Angelo Russell, and um, Malik Beasley. And the first game after the trade deadline, LeBron James does not play in. Now LeBron James is injured and set to be out for at least three weeks. And that's not even considering the fact that he needs a reevaluation, which could tackle on more time. The Los Angeles Lakers are currently 31 and 34, which is literally tied with the Utah jazz for what would be the 10th spot in the Western conference. Obviously with the new play in tournament being added, being in 10th is huge. They are also, a half a game back of the new Orleans Pelicans who have been spiraling as well for the ninth spot specifically. If you want to get even more technical about it, the Lakers are two games back of both the Dallas Mavericks and the LA Clippers for what would be either the seventh or the eighth spot in the Western conference. The Lakers are currently six and four in their last 10 games in the Western Conference. That would be tied for about the fourth, that would be tied for about the third or fourth best stretch over the last 10 games. I think it's tied for the third best stretch over the last 10 games. And it just goes to make me wonder. Can the Los Angeles Lakers really pull this off? Can the Los Angeles Lakers really pull off the pull off this insane season of making the post the making the playoffs? Let me rephrase it this way. Is it really possible that the Los Angeles Lakers after injury injury concerns after injury concerns Roster construction issues after roster construction issues, internal conflict after internal conflict, truly still just be that talented enough to make the postseason just due to the fact that they are that good at the top end. They have supporting role players now that fit their actual rosters play style that they want to play with, and they simply are in a Western conference that can't seem to figure itself out. Is that really the reality of this season is that the Los Angeles Lakers are positioned in a way where their talent is that good that in a Western conference that is so confusing, their team is able to stick around, linger in the shadows just long enough to be dangerous and make the uh, the play-in tournament with a chance to really make the playoffs in a Western conference that can't figure themselves out? Why do I? Wh- why is this so important? Why is it so important? Because if we look at the circumstances of the way the Western Conference is set up, if they catch the Denver Nuggets, I think the Denver Nuggets are better than them, but Anthony Davis versus Nikola Jokic is a big-time matchup, and if Anthony Davis is playing at elite Anthony Dav- Davis level, they can go tit for tat. And then the, le- the 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 second best player in, a given, in that given series would probably be LeBron James by a mile. The Memphis Grizzlies have their own issues. We're going to get to that a little bit later on, talking about John Morant. But this is a team that is still young, still seems to get in their own way. And despite the fact that they are built in a way that feels like it's sustainable, they feel like they're still a piece away from being a real threat in this Western Conference when it comes to the postseason specifically. The Sacramento Kings are the team that everybody keeps putting a target on because they feel as though, despite the fact that they are the number one offense in all of the NBA, they have two all-star players in De'Aaron Fox and DeMontis Sabonis, and they have a very solid backup, uh, supporting cast, excuse me, of guys like Malik Monk, Kevin Herter, Harrison Barnes. The, the list goes on of guys that have been able to contribute at a high level for them they are the team with the target on the back is that the team you would like to see in the first round in the Western Conference, because they're the team that quote unquote is just going to be happy to be there. I do not believe that coach Brown, Mike Brown, and those guys are going to go in there with the mentality of just being happy to make the postseason and break the streak. I think that breaking the streak is actually going to fuel them more, which is a reason why I think this is an episode I plan on doing uh, later on this week. But I believe when you talk about championship equity and you talk about the teams you'd least want to see in the postseason I actually believe that the Sacramento Kings are the team that you do not want to see in the postseason at all because I feel as though they're a team that is cooking with grease they're a team that has one of the best clutch players in the league in De'Aaron Fox he has been upon the uh, up there in the tippity top in terms of being able to produce in the highest stake moments of an NBA game And I think that it also was proven in their their overtime game against the L.A. Clippers that they won, that they have the firepower to hang with any of these teams in the Western Conference. And they have the ability, the fortitude, despite still being a relatively young team, in a sense, they have the fortitude to be able to close games and do so at a high level. Something that in the postseason is a must in order for you to be able to truly succeed in a seven game series. The Phoenix Suns have Kevin Durant, but everybody's going to point to the defense, as I mentioned earlier. The Warriors are like the most wishy-washy team in the league because the injuries to Steph Curry have really hurt them. Their road record is horrible. I believe they're like 7-26 and or something like that in terms of what they do on the road. The Minnesota Timberwolves are still without Carl Anthony Towns. And with that being the case, they're positioned in a weird way where they might be scary simply off the strength that Anthony Edwards has just been that good this year. But again, in a seven-game series, like how do we feel about them? How do we feel about Rudy Gobert being in a postseason setting again, considering the fact that everybody understands his primary weakness? Those are the teams in the top six right now. Those are the teams in the top six right now, and all of them in their own weird way, when you look at them versus the Lakers, I think only maybe the Phoenix Suns, I think only maybe the Phoenix Suns and the Denver Nuggets are truly teams that if you told me going into the series who you got, I think those are the only two teams I feel genuinely comfortable picking without being nervous about it. And even then, again, specific more specifically with the Nuggets situation, If Anthony Davis is as good as he's been been able to be when he has been healthy this season, he's been insane when he's healthy. That's why I had him as a guy that I felt like deserved to be on the all-star team because despite the fact that he hadn't been on the floor that much, when he played, he was easily one of the best forward slash centers in the league. No debate. The peak was there. So in a battle between him and Nicole Jokic, that still gives me cause to pause. The Lakers might actually be in position to be one of the most dangerous teams in the Western Conference if they're able to pull this off. If the Western Conference allows the Lakers to make the play-in tournament against anybody between the Pelicans and the Utah Jazz, and then face off against anybody between the Dallas Mavericks, Clippers and Timberwolves. There is a chance that the Lakers could come in as an eighth seed in the Western conference with LeBron James, Anthony Davis and a roster that actually makes sense for the first time in two years. Bro. I have no idea. How the West is allowing this to happen, <laughs> and it's tough to say it like that because it's obviously not like they're truly picking the picking on the Lakers to be able to just be able to survive this. But that the, the the volatility in the Western Conference more than anything, I think more even than the talent that the Lakers have, the the vol the volatility in the Western Conference is keeping the Lakers' season alive despite all of the signs. Pointing to the Lakers truly not being good enough in retrospect to be able to make the postseason, they've been too injured. They had too much of a rough start to the year. They're trying to make adjustments now with, with and without LeBron in terms of what they've been able to do at the trade deadline. Yet here we are. Here we are with the Los Angeles Lakers. This late into the year, despite the the up and down roller coaster of a season they've had, the Lakers are still here in the mix. And there is a chance that when when we power rank those teams, if he if, if if he and I mean LeBron James, if he makes the postseason under these circumstances with the Western Conference in shambles this way, where only two or three teams, maybe maybe even remotely. Strike fear into your heart. We might have to genuinely call the Los Angeles Lakers the most dangerous team in the Western Conference postseason, despite the fact that all of the resume they've built throughout this season indicates that they shouldn't even be in the stratosphere of a team that we consider as a potential title contender. That's the insane storyline of the Los Angeles Lakers is they have not been good enough. They have not been healthy enough. They have not been together enough to be good enough (laughs) to be a threat in the Western Conference. Yet here we are. Man. It's insane. It's insane to think about the Los Angeles Lakers on that level, but it just goes to show you how much turmoil is taking place in the West. And that is going to lead to a very crazy Western Conference playoffs because I don't think any team is safe. I don't think any team definitively can be chosen as a safe front runner in this Western Conference postseason. Man, I can't wait for the playoffs. <laughs> but um, speaking of turmoil, wow. I hate to end the podcast with a topic that's got this much spice to it, but it's super important to not only the Western Conference layout, but maybe even to the, the future of this team. But the Memphis Grizzlies are in a very weird situation right now. John Morant is under some very tough allegations, including waving a firearm on a IG Live and this – hood slash rapper persona that john morant has given off over the last season or two more particularly is one of those things that i think has helped a lot of people gravitate towards his brand um because he gives you a rapper lifestyle for a guy that plays basketball and the funny thing about that is there's a lot of rappers who used to have hoop dreams and now this is a hooper who may not have necessarily rap dreams, but he is a guy who has a a longing or a liking for the a liking to the uh rapper lifestyle. And um, with that being the case, it has really put him and his team in a tough position because they are second in the Western Conference. They have the DPOY in Jaron Jackson Jr., because I believe he's going to win Defensive Player of the Year. He looks like, from every metric that you look at, from everybody that you listen to in terms of doing their award podcast, it seems like that, it seems as though Jaron Jackson is far and away the lead candidate there. And then you have a supporting cast with Desmond Bain, Dylan Brooks in a contract year. Probably the best backup point guard in the NBA and Tyus Jones. You play with a very good, you have a very good play style in terms of being able to get up and down the floor, create easy offense, win in transition. But your point guard is not looking like a leader right now. Um, he's gonna miss at bare minimum the next two games due to stepping away from the team for personal reasons that involve all of these allegations. Um, but there's also an indefinite tag that's being associated with it because he is kind of having to reap what he sows, in a sense, um, for the actions that he is of uh, that he has uh, went about over the last, you know couple of weeks or a couple of months or whatever the circumstances are that involve all of these reoccurring incidents. And um, it makes me wonder about the, um, it makes me really wonder about the window of the Memphis Grizzlies Um Something that I plan on doing for this podcast is posting flashback episodes. Flashback episodes are going to be associated to the other podcasts that I've recorded in the past being the Knockdown J podcast that I did very briefly but and planning to rebrand um at a later date and focusing more so on the Routine Jumper brand. But I had the Knockdown J podcast as well as a podcast I was doing for about 2 years called the Hoop Talk Pod and I was doing that with a friend And that's a lot of content that I don't want to go to waste because there was a lot of nuanced conversations that took place on both of those podcasts in relation to the trajectory of the league, young stars in the NBA, team building and things of that nature. So essentially stay tuned for that, because that's something that I plan on going through and having a lot of fun digging through the archives and seeing like, oh, wow in 2020, who did we have ranked as the top point guards in the NBA? And how does that look now? Things of that nature. Very interested in going back and looking back at some of that that flashback content. But one of the conversations that I remember having specifically on the Knockdown J podcast was this idea of what does the window look like for a team like the Memphis Grizzlies who have chosen to go about building their team through the draft and And full-blown being good at it, by, by by the way. The Memphis Grizzlies have been one of the best drafting teams in the NBA, but I think that it's been so good that it's going to act as a detriment to them. Because something that we saw with the Atlanta Hawks and is super important now is that choosing to consolidate late, actually hurts your team more because the guys that you tend to have to move off of in order to consolidate are the guys that tend to fit your team and what your roster does best the most. But those become the guys that are the most expensive or the guys that you cannot seem to make it work with the most because they believe, though, as though they would thrive more so in a bigger role. I think a great example of this is Kevin Herter. Kevin Herter, I think, fits a lot of what the Atlanta Hawks want and need to do, specifically considering the fact that they went from being one of the best three-point shooting teams, and especially in terms of volume last season, to now being one of the worst three-point shooting teams in terms of volume this season. And it's significantly changed their play style on the floor. Now, he is being able to contribute in kind of a similar role in terms of the minutes played and the kind of Spot up shooter, off pin downs, different things like that that he's doing with the, the Sacramento Kings. But the opportunity has increased a little bit and it has changed his impact on the floor where he has been a much more serviceable player for the Sacramento Kings as opposed to what he was able to do in Atlanta. A similar situation that might be faced is with Dylan Brooks. Say what you want about Dylan Brooks. He's an annoying guy. He's a dude that he, he loves to front run. He sticks his chest out. He's a dude who might talk more than his talent can speak for, but he's one of the best perimeter defenders in the league on the wing. He's one of the most physical builds in the league in terms of being able to go out on the wing and guard your best offensive player. He is probably the second best defender on the memphis grizzlies and although the shot chucking offensively is something that really hurts them his defensive ability is something that helps really bring this team together because he is the guy that provides a certain level of backbone and a certain level of edge both from a physical standpoint in terms of what you see in terms of his on ball prowess but also dylan brooks he brings a great to the team that gives them a certain level of edge where they play with a bit more energy and they play with a bit more swag and they play with a lot more physicality and that's something that really has helped this team bond in a way like I think Dylan Brooks in a weird way despite all of the things that he might bring to your team in terms of like I said a big mouth or a guy that tends to kind of stir things st- tends to stir the pot excuse me tends st- tends to stir the pot with the fact that he um he has a certain way about going about things that edge is something that has really helped this Memphis team develop a lot of people would say that's part of what really was the downfall in the Rudy Gobert trade for the Minnesota Timberwolves was they lost the grit and grind aspect, so to speak, that Patrick Beverly and Jared Vanderbilt brought to to that team last season. And that hunger on the defensive end, but also that physicality and that physical mindset brought a different edge to that Minnesota team and it made them more dangerous. And I think that Dylan Brooks acts as a similar agent for this team being the Memphis Grizzlies. So I think... That they're gonna have to make they're one, they're gonna have to make a super huge decision on Dylan Brooks because Dylan Brooks is due this offseason, and then after that, Desmond Bain is due the following season. That's not including the fact that obviously John Morant is under a significant extension, and Jaron Jackson Jr. is a guy that they obviously want to keep around, especially with this DPOI season. So it makes me wonder, man. With the John Morant stuff going on, the fact that the Memphis Grizzlies were not very active at the trade deadline outside of acquiring, um, I believe the only acquisition they made was um, three-point shooter from the LA Clippers. Man, I, I feel so bad for like not... Luke Kennard, excuse me. Yeah, duh i'm over here about to look it up and it's like duh i know i know who he is but um luke Kennard was their only acquisition and i feel as though luke only really provides more so for the regular season um they definitely need more three-point shooting but they are going to need as much versatility as possible on the perimeter defensively around john morant in the postseason so they're gonna need desmond bain and they're gonna need um They're going to need Dylan Brooks on the floor, which doesn't leave a lot of space for Luke Kennard in those lineups. He is an interesting fit next to Tyus Jones. So that's something. But um, nonetheless, they didn't make really any significant moves at the trade deadline. They are in a situation now with John Morant, where I think that this is creating a significant distraction for a team that hasn't really been playing very well. A lot of that having to do with the fact that Steven Adams has missed a ton of time. And although they're the second second seed in the Western Conference, I still feel like their reliance on transition play and up-tempo basketball is something that could hinder them in the postseason setting. See, I think the big thing was when you look at The Minnesota Timber, when you look back at the Minnesota Timberwolves series, it had more to do with the fact that the Minnesota Timberwolves cannot close games than it had to do with the fact that that the Memphis Grizzlies were better than them. I don't think from a talent perspective that the Minnesota Timberwolves were better than the Grizzlies, but I think that the Timberwolves played better than the Grizzlies for majority of that series. Memphis just had a better time closing games than Minnesota did. And that was what really flipped that series on his head. Many believe that if John Morant was not injured during that Golden State Warriors series, that a series that went to six could have genuinely went to seven games. And with John Morant being on the floor, that outcome could be significantly different depending on the circumstances. But you look at two teams in the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Golden State Warriors that kind of thrive in that up and st- up uh, that up tempo play style, and so with that being the case, it kind of plays to the hands of a team like Memphis. But what if, what if you're playing up against a team like the Dallas Mavericks? That's a much slower paced team that can thrive in the half court with guys like Kyrie Irving and Luka Doncic with two of the best fourth quarter closers despite what the record looks like cuz i believe they're like 2 and 4 with with Luka and uh Luka and Kyrie Irving together or something along those lines what if you face off a team against like the Mavericks that like have two of the best fourth quarter closers like in the league what if you face off against a team like the LA Clippers where you have two guys in Paul George and Kawhi Leonard that just, in in spurts, more so Kawhi than Paul George, but nonetheless, both guys have really showed top-tier signs of being elite playoff performers. I worry about the Memphis Grizzlies because I feel as though this whole culture they've built around, John Morant, not even just all the the hood slash rapper lifestyle stuff or the hard body grit and grind times two era they're trying to create. But I think their overall mentality is they're so Memphis. They're so Memphis that I think it's holding them back from realizing what's going on around them and how they need to be able to adjust to become a real threat a real powerhouse in the western conference because in terms of age they could create a dynastic run with the kind of youth they have on the roster but i think they're continuing to limit themselves by being so memphis not even just in their Again, not even just in the drafting, but also their mentality, their formulation of what makes them the Memphis Grizzlies, I think is almost so Memphis that they get in their own way. The Memphis hood stuff is getting in John Morant's way right now. The Memphis drafting stuff is making it where they're not open to consolidating and putting together assets to go after a big name, go after a big fish that could really put them over the top. They're so Memphis that they put themselves in positions where they believe that they are the better team. They believe that they are the better squad. And they set themselves to view themselves as much better than they might actually be. And they allow the standings to do all the talking for them. When the truth is, we know that when it comes to a postseason setting, the Memphis Grizzlies are probably... The fourth or fifth team that you worry about in the postseason right now, all due respect. I think if you had to do some kind of Western Conference power rankings with the West right now. I take the Suns over Memphis. I take Denver over Memphis. I think if the Warriors are healthy, I take the Warriors over Memphis. I think that if you had to really think about it, I would say that the Kings versus Memphis is a bit of a standstill. That's my personal opinion. But I think that the Kings versus Memphis would be a really great series where I think it it could be it could go either way, especially with how great De'Aaron Fox has been. I think the Clippers are a team that could be better than Memphis if they're clicking on all cylinders. And I mentioned beforehand that if the Lakers are healthy, they're scary. So the Memphis Grizzlies, despite being the number two seed right now, having a top five-point guard, top three-point guard in the NBA, having one of the best defenders in the interior with Jaron Jackson, having two role players in Dylan and um, Desmond, who are two of the better 3 and D guys on the wings, they still kind of, as an organization tend to be in their own way, and that it limits them from truly being the second best team in the Western Conference. They're a team with a very exciting play style. They have youth, and they have talent that thrives in the regular season. But in the postseason, they just don't scare me yet. I think that's where I'm at. I'm think I think that's where I'm at. I think all of this John Morant stuff. I think all of this stuff that we saw, or the stuff that I guess we didn't see at the trade deadline. I think Memphis's season in general, even with how good everybody has played, kind of culminates to this point that the 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 Memphis Grizzlies are a very good regular season team. This is the second straight season where we've seen them atop the Western Conference looking like one of the better teams in the regular season. But I've come to this conclusion for a second straight year that despite how good the regular season has been to the Memphis Grizzlies, I don't fear them as a top five team in terms of championship equity this postseason coming out of the Western Conference. And that makes me wonder what their window looks like. That makes me genuinely wonder what their window looks like because John Morant has a very volatile play style that leads to a lot of injury concerns. They have a lot of money. That's going to be under conversation over the next two to three seasons with guys like Dylan Desmond and others that they have on the roster because they've gone about a more homegrown approach. This is probably the healthiest season that Jaron Jackson has had in years, which means that from a, production standpoint, this also might be the best shot they have of having a full-fledged Jaron Jackson Jr. engaged on the floor. So what truly does the what truly does the window for the Memphis Grizzlies look like despite their youth? I think that's a huge question to have to ask when you talk about what it is That the NBA is going to look like. Over the next couple of seasons. Because. Everybody loves to be. Ahead and talk about. The next it kid team. Everybody likes the idea. Of trying to hop on the bandwagon. Of being ahead. And choosing a youthful team. To be the next. Powerhouse in the NBA. I think that. A season ago, two seasons ago, that it kid was the Atlanta Hawks. They came out last season and got manhandled by the Miami Heat without Jimmy Butler and Kyle Lowry. Last season, I think it was the New Orleans Pelicans who missed Zion for a significant time, went into the postseason and pushed the Phoenix Suns, who had the best record in the NBA, to six games. It came into this year with a top 10 pick in the NBA draft, picked Dyson Daniels, and got Zion Williamson back. Everybody thinks, oh, dang, if New Orleans did that without Zion, if they can have Zion healthy, oh, man, what will they look like? Well, Zion hasn't been healthy. When he has been healthy, the fit with him and Brandon Ingram has been dicey. Brandon Ingram has missed time. CJ McCollum has not played as well so far this year. And they're currently ninth in the Western Conference with a chance between them, the Utah Jazz, and dare I say even the Oklahoma Thunder and Portland Trailblazers who are literally a game behind them. There's a chance that the New Orleans Pelicans could actually end up missing the postseason altogether this year. And now I have this weird feeling that the Memphis Grizzlies are that next it kid on the block that everybody thinks is about to be this next youthful dynasty that gets humbled, and i love the memphis grizzlies the memphis grizzlies are like my second favorite team in the nba behind the chicago bulls obviously but i have this weird feeling that, similar to the hawks similar to the new orleans pelicans that like the memphis grizzlies are going to be that next that next team that everybody has all this hype and belief about in the offseason after seeing what the last year looked like. And then in a sense, they get in their own way, hold themselves back, and now look like a team we should be more worried about than optimistic about. I'm definitely worried about the Memphis Grizzlies, man. I am... Um, I am definitely worried about the Memphis Grizzlies. Man, like I said, I cannot wait for the postseason. It is going to be insane. With that being the case, guys, I'm going to bring this episode to a close. I've got a couple of really strong ideas for some evergreen content to work on um, over the next couple of weeks as we lead to the um The NBA postseason. I mean, we are so close. It feels like this season has flown by. Um, But with that being the case, remember to like, comment, subscribe. Remember to check me out on all podcast streaming platforms. Also, remember to check out the Hit Your Free Throws podcast every week. We tend to drop at least one episode a week, either on Tuesday or on Wednesday morning, 10 a.m., Me and TV have some really nuanced um, conversations that I also enjoy over there. And, yeah, man, the NBA postseason, it just feels like every week is going by faster and faster. And it goes to lead us that like it goes to show us that, like, wow, we are in for a really we are in for a really crazy postseason. Um. Nonetheless, let me finish my intro very formally. Remember to like, comment, subscribe. Check me out on all podcast streaming platforms. I am locked in as we make this push for the postseason. I'm going to also be super locked in in terms of YouTube, TikTok and instagram so check out the knock you uh, the knockdown j page and the routine jumper page on instagram and tiktok as well as look out for the youtube link i will be dropping that in the description of episodes for the podcast starting sometime later this week yeah man loving the nba so far but until next time i'll see you guys later peace